0: Well, that song that we sang, the chorus of the end, Jesus Loves Me, a simple song. Uh, One of the reasons that I'm here in front of you today is because I grew up for the first 18 years of my life in a church that didn't do everything right, but a church that sang that song and meant it. And there is something about being surrounded by adults who believe that Jesus loves them and believe that the words in the Bible hold authority and show with their lives and their worship that Jesus is worthy. There's something about that that forms a child. People have all sorts of different paths about how they come to Christ. But for me, it was largely being raised in a church by parents that earnestly loved Jesus, didn't do everything right, and Sunday school teachers that earnestly loved Jesus and didn't do everything right. And what I want for us is to be those kind of parents who don't do everything right, but very plainly love Jesus Christ. And to be a church, as we all know, we don't do everything right. But if we can be very plain about our love for Jesus, well, perhaps the Lord will use this text today to form us into that kind of church. I want to go to the Lord this morning with a heart that is very similar to the heart I had when I first learned that I was a father. Uh, When I first learned that Emily was pregnant and I was a dad, uh, I was at the pharmacy aisle of a Kroger and got a phone call I didn't expect. Uh, Emily had taken a test and it was negative and then she took another test a few days later and it was positive and so I was at the Kroger in the pharmacy aisle buying more tests Because obviously we got a dud that said she was pregnant when she wasn't, and so we need to get some more tests and take those home and see what's going on here. So I had called a friend named Rebecca who was a nurse, and I kind of told her what was going on and said, you know, I don't really know what to do. Could, Could you point us to a doctor so we could go get an appointment and get like, you know, a good test since we seem to have gotten like a false positive here. And so she calls while I'm there in the Kroger trying to get these, and she just has this like... Like beaming smile that you can hear over the phone. Uh, and she says, so your wife took a test and it's positive. And I said, yeah. And she said, and you're in the store buying more tests. And I said, yeah, what's the problem? And she said, okay, you were in the wrong part of the store. You need to go to the flower aisle and you need to buy your wife some flowers because she is having a baby. There is no such thing as a false positive in a pregnancy test I learned that day. And so I rushed over there and she said, wait, hang on, actually, before you go there, let me tell you what kind of prenatal vitamins to get and then grab those, then go to the flower aisle. Then I went to the flower aisle, grabbed those, and I came home. And in just kind of a weird twist, it doesn't usually work this way for people, but I got to be the one to tell my wife that she was pregnant and that she was having a baby and give her flowers right there on the spot. Uh, And we were I mean, we were filled with all kinds of emotions. Uh, oh, it's coming back to me now. Um, a, a wonder that it was like God did this miracle in her body and, and gave this child to us of all people. people kids, kids who weren't ready to have a child, and, and there we were. And at the same time, um, a deep sense of inadequacy, like how, how will we form the kind of home that these kids need, uh, how how will I be the kind of father our kids need? And so, we had this ratty couch; it was red plaid, hand-me-down because we were flat broke at the time. And so, we just knelt; we collapsed on this couch together, and we thanked the Lord for what He did. And then we said, "God, we can't do this. We we need Your help. Show us what to do. Show us how to raise a child well. Show me how to provide for a child. Help us in all the ways we need." And, and I tell you that because I hope we can go to the Lord together with those same senses. Some of you are parents, and you can sense God did a miracle. And why did he give this child to us? Like, I don't know, but he did it, you know. And we look around at the kids that are here. Uh, many of them weren't here five years ago. And we prayed the Lord would bring kids and, and middle schoolers and high schoolers here, and now they're here. And so we say it's God who did that. Like, what a gift from God. And at the same time, sensing our own inadequacy, right? Like we can't, we can't be the kind of church that these kids and these students need without God's help. Uh, we, don't, we don't have what it takes to do that. But what if we this morning go to the Word of God with hearts that are open and say, Lord, whatever you want from us as parents and as a church for these kids, we'll do it. If we can go there this morning, that kind of reverence, I think the Lord intends to bless us and show us just what kind of church He wants us to be and just what kind of home He wants you to have. Uh, The text we're going to read today says more than what I'm going to tell you today. Uh, It is essentially summing up what a healthy relationship with God looks like and what a healthy community looks like, a healthy home, a healthy church. It is the, the centerpiece of Israel's law. Jesus will later be asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he's going to quote this very passage. And so it's the, one of those points in the Bible where a healthy walk with God is just kind of summed up, like in Ecclesiastes, fear God, and keep his commands, that's a whole duty of man. Uh, this is one of those passages like that that shows us what it's like to have a healthy relationship with him. It will talk about our kids and how we want to treat them, and so we're going to go to it asking, for the sake of these young ones here and scattered all over the room, What kind of church does he want us to be for them? And what kind of parents does he want you to be if you're a parent for these? So let's read Deuteronomy 6. We'll start at verse 4 and we'll read to verse 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Through those words, the Lord paints for us a picture of a healthy relationship with Him and a healthy community. And we come to Him asking about one piece of that pie, right? A lot of of pieces to having a healthy relationship with God. But for the little piece of those of us that are parents raising kids, and for those of us who are members of this church, we know we've got kids and teenagers to, to raise up. What's it look like to do that in a way that pleases Him? These words were spoken when Israel was about to walk into their promised land. The Lord had rescued them from Egypt. He had saved them. And he essentially said, now that I have saved you, here is what a good relationship with me looks like. So for people who are already in a relationship with him, this is what it looks like to make that relationship healthy. But before he goes into that relationship, he does something very important about him. And we read that in verse 4. With words to build it up. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is, is one. This is one of the most important things about our God. And to us, it might just sound like, okay, one God, I got it. We're a monotheistic religion. And that's true. That, that is very much what the meaning is. To them, it would be uh, almost mind-blowing because they were, uh, a lot of them, their parents grew up in Egypt where there were many gods. A god you go to for rain, a god you go to for fertility, and different gods for everything. And so for A God to say I am one is wildly different from anything they've encountered. The best like modern day parallel I could give for that was to be to say that for any neighboring nation to Israel or for Egypt where they came from, religion kind of felt like the Marvel Cinematic Universe feels to us, those of you that watch those movies. All kinds of supernaturally equipped characters with super abilities They're all duking it out in this cosmic drama. It's constantly changing. The fate of humanity hangs in the balance, but there is no one supreme character above them all. They all have different wonderful abilities, and some are good, and some are bad, and some are mixed, and however it's going to play out, the fate of humanity just kind of rests in the hands of this wild cosmic drama. Now, if you're into those movies, you try to imagine, what if one character came in and they were the supreme lord of everything and had absolute power? It would kill the story, right? It wouldn't be a good story. Now we know who wins, boom, everything is over. And ancient religion worked in much the same way. Many different gods with many different abilities, all having their dramas play out. Some of them are in love with each other and some of them are at war. And our fate just kind of hangs in their balance. So when we need rain, we'll go to this God. When we need fertility, we'll go to this God. When our enemies come, we'll go to this God for protection. The one thing they had no grid for was a supreme being over all of it. So, into that chaos, the Lord says, I am one. And that just wipes the slate clean, right? So, part of what he is communicating here is not just that there's only one of him, but his supremacy over all things. I have no rival, he says. I'm the only God, so no one even can challenge me. I am Lord over all, he says. Now that is a very different concept from what they're used to. And so it teaches to them that their Lord, Yahweh, who they worship, is the supreme Lord over all things. He has no rival. He is Alpha and Omega. He is all in all. He is everything. And we know a little bit more than that because their Bible ended there with Deuteronomy. Right? And later on, the Lord would add more books and more books. And eventually, he would inspire the New Testament, which many of you have in your hands right now. And we learn in that New Testament that this God came to earth as a man, this supreme Lord walking the earth in human form. And, and his name was, was Jesus so we know that Jesus was this Yahweh, Lord, made man. And the whole Old Testament's been teaching us that Yahweh is the Lord. And now the New Testament says Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the Lord. So when we look back now and we see the Lord your God, Jesus, is one, the, the point of truth we take from a text like this is that Jesus Christ is the supreme God. He is not better than the other gods, because there are no other gods. He has no rival, and no one stands against him. Now, most of what I want to talk about today is about having a healthy relationship with this God. Uh, Now, if we know that this is Jesus we are talking about, And that He is the Supreme Lord over all things. I want to first tell you how to come into a relationship with Him. I want you to know who I am calling you to this morning. Because you can't just suddenly have a good relationship with Him. No, if you can think back on some of the moments of your life... Almost all of us would answer this question the same. Have we loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our hearts and walked fully and completely in his ways from birth up till now? Almost all of us would be honest enough to say, no, no, I have not. And in fact, the Lord has written his glory on every tree out there and every blade of grass. And you walk outside and look around and it is plain that someone made all this who is wonderful and worthy of your worship. And he's written on your heart and on my heart that there's a real right and wrong out there. And what all of us have done is refuse to seek that wonderful God that made all of this. And, and we felt the promptings of our hearts say, that's wrong, don't do that. And we've said, eh, I'm going to do it anyway. Right? We've, we've seen other people commit wrongs. And we pointed the finger at them because we know that those who do wrong deserve to be judged. But we also have done things that we know are wrong. And so this state that we're in, the Bible's word for that is, is sinner. One who has deliberately sinned before God. Deliberately ignored his law written on our hearts and his glory written across all of the universe. And we know that those who do wrong deserve judgment. So we judge others who do wrong. And so we have enough already to add up the state that we're in, right? Worthy of judgment before God. And what God has done in this supreme Lord Jesus Christ coming to earth is he lived a life without sin. He he worshiped God his Father his whole life properly. And, And he never sinned once. He did right every time. Everything he was supposed to do, he did. Everything he wasn't supposed to do, he didn't do. And so here he is at the end of his life, the only one who doesn't have to die and isn't worthy of being judged. And he says, what I will do is for the sake of my people, I'm willing to die and I'm willing to be judged for their sins. So he offered himself as a sacrifice in the place of those who would trust him. Then he rose from the dead, guaranteeing eternal life to anyone who would trust him. And if you are here hearing this message today, you do not trust him in this way. The Lord calls you even right now. Place faith in him. Trust this Jesus Christ, God made man. And then you will be brought back into a relationship with God. Then you won't be sinner worthy of judgment anymore. But now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, One of the things you get then if you come to Christ is is guidance for your life. you got a relationship with God now. And that relationship can be okay or it can be real good. And what we're going to talk about the rest of this is what does it look like if that's good? Like if I've got a sweet communion with God. Not just, you know, we're friends again, it's fine. But like we are sweet together. This is what that looks like. He goes into this in verse 5. What does it look like? If he is the supreme Lord, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So if he is the supreme Lord, if he's all there is to God, then a right relationship with him is he's got all of you, right? You love him with all of your heart. Your heart is not divided between this God and that God or the the God of the universe and some of the things that I want. No, we love the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our strength and with all of our soul. And so the first picture we get of a healthy relationship with God here is very simply to love Jesus as Lord with all that you are. The New Testament says that he is all in all. And if that's true, then he's worthy of your all. That's what a healthy relationship with him looks like, undivided. It says he is alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. And so a healthy relationship with him is to love him beginning to end with every ounce of you, from left fingertip to right fingertip, from head to toe, all that you are. And if we're asking the question, what kind of homes and what kind of churches do our children need, then the first answer we get is a home where the parents love Jesus Christ with all they are, and a church where the adults around them love Jesus Christ as Lord with all that they are. So that means these children here, my children, the other children, the students that are around us, we got some middle schoolers and high schoolers here. Uh, Church, what they need most from you guys is for the the 85-year-old man behind them and the the school teacher to the left of them and the other child in front of them and their mom and their dad beside them to worship Jesus with all they have. They can tell if you don't really believe this stuff, right? You, You can fool adults with hypocrisy. I don't know why, but you can't fool kids with it. They catch on. They know if mom doesn't really believe the stuff that she's singing, they know if the person behind them is, you know, doing this number and scrunching their face and scowling and not really singing along with the hymns, they, they catch that something is going on. If I stand up here and I preach things that I don't believe, they, they will catch on over time. This guy doesn't really seem to believe this stuff. And we will train them one of two directions, We will either show them that this Jesus is real and he really changes people, or we will train them in hypocrisy, in how to fake it and how to pretend that religion is real. So their greatest need from us is that we would give him all we have every Sunday, every Monday to every Saturday, all we've got. Kids, that means for you guys, some of y'all have parents who love Jesus, and some of you have parents who don't love Jesus. Uh, The Bible teaches you, honor them anyway, whether they love the Lord or not. Honor your mother and your father, it says. But if the Lord has given you parents that love Jesus Christ and you know it, thank God for parents like that. Go home tonight and say, Lord, thank you for parents that love Jesus, And if you have ever been in the back in our kids' wing and you have sensed that Miss B and Miss Joe and Miss Mindy and all those other people who are back there love Jesus Christ with all they have, go home and thank God for teachers who love him. Because they're meeting the greatest need you have from them right now if they love Jesus with all that they are. If I could choose between us being... The kind of church that has all the cool stuff for kids. You know, we got a bounce house coming. we got some cool things coming. But man, some churches, it's like a, it's like a carnival every Sunday. And the kids just have a blast because there's so many resources for them. If I could choose between being that kind of church or just a simple church full of people who love Jesus Christ, I would take the second one, right? Because they need that more than they need the cool stuff. Now, we're going to give them as much cool stuff as we can give them, but that's secondary, right? What's most important? How much the adults around them love their Lord. Parents, some of you guys wonder how you will provide for your kids. Uh, Emily and I were worried about that when we first learned Emily was pregnant. I was uh, looking for work as an associate pastor, uh, but it was the 08 recession. Churches were not hiring associate pastors, so I was working as a waiter. And guess what else people weren't doing? They weren't going out to eat because it was the 08 recession, and so we were earning nothing, and all of a sudden, the Lord gives us a child. If you're struggling to pay the bills, and you got kids, we get it. Uh, if you're looking at all of that stuff, I want to ask you a question. If, if you could choose between having their college paid for, buying them whatever car you want to, Buying them the pair of Nikes that they want and the awesome shirt and the awesome clothes that they want. All, buying all the things that you want to give them, all those resources. Or giving them parents who love Jesus Christ. Which one's going to be more for them? I want to encourage you this morning in telling them what they need more is for you to love the Lord. And you may not have enough money to buy all that stuff, but with God's help, you can be that parent that they need. So church, Christians, parents, be, be that parent that loves the Lord. I want you to know that I wrote an article for our parents this week because we got more kids joining the worship service and that scares parents. We're like, oh goodness, what if my kids like scream out something, you know, in the middle of the sermon, you know, it's scary. And so I wrote them a, a little article to try to encourage them. And I want you to know, I went as far as to tell them to choose where they sit on Sunday morning To make sure they sit near adults who very plainly love Jesus and love children. Because this need in their hearts, it's so deep to just see Jesus worshipped with awe. It's a deep need there. And I would rather have them surrounded, breathing the air of God-fearing worship. It is that important for them. So the first picture we get of a healthy relationship with God is loving the Lord, loving Jesus as Lord with all that you are. If you're going to walk for any length of time as a Christian, it's going to look like this. You're going to do that for a while, and then you're going to drift away from it, and you're going to have to course correct. And then you're going to drift away again, and you're going to have to course correct. You might liken this to, to a beach ball with a penny resting on top of it. Say you're out at the beach, you're having a great time, you're sitting in your beach chair, you got your fake Yeti that you paid 10 bucks for at Walmart, or maybe that's just me, I did that, you got that over there, and you've got a beach ball, and, and you kind of sink it into the sand real good so it doesn't blow away. It's sitting still right there, and you take a penny, and you just rest it on top of that beach ball. It's going to stay there for a little bit, and then the wind will blow, and it'll shake a little bit, and it'll start sliding back, All right? So Put your finger on it, get it back up to the top, and then it'll rest a little bit, and then it'll slide forward and to the right a little bit. So you put your finger on it and bring it back up to the top, and it would just be this endless game. It would keep slipping off, and you would keep recalibrating and bringing it back to the center. Same thing happens in our Christian lives. The Lord brings us to the right spot. We'll have our first love in Jesus Christ, and then we realize one day, oh, I love Jesus, but I'm not really loving him as Lord. I'm not following in his ways. I don't really think of him as authoritative in my life. I just love him as like a peer and a buddy and whoop, time to put your finger on the penny and bring it back up to the top, right? Recenter, turn back to Christ. And then you go on for a while and the Penny slips off the other side of the beach ball and you realize, oh man, I am working and working and working for the Lord. But like that church in Revelation, I've I've forgotten my first love. I don't love him above all things. Put your finger on the penny and bring it back up to the top. You'll be continually doing that, turning back to the center of your Christian life for as long as you are a believer here on this earth. And maybe the reason the Lord has you in church today is to hear that so that you can say, you know what? I have gotten off center. I don't love Jesus as Lord with all my heart yet again. And if that's you, put your finger on the penny and... Bring that penny back up to the top, right? Put it back in the center. You may have to do the same thing again next week, but the Lord is, as we sang, good and he's wonderful. He brings us back to him. Come back to him and remember your first love in Jesus Christ. Okay, so the next picture we get of a good, healthy community and relationship with God is in two verses, verse six and verse eight. Let's look at them together. Part of loving the Lord is, he says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then we'll skip to verse eight. You shall bind them, the words he commands, as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. So the idea here is that if you're gonna love the Lord, if you love Jesus as Lord with all your heart, that means you're gonna love his, his commands and his words too, right? And anybody that you just love, you love what they have to say. So if he's speaking with authority, then all of his words are commands. He can say strange sounding phrases like these words that I command you. Wait, not everything you say is a command. Well, it kind of is because it always has authority. And so those authoritative words that come from him, we just love them, we cherish them, and we immerse ourselves in them, right? So those words he says with authority They're on our heart. We cram our heart full of them, and we love them. And then this is said symbolically in verse 8, right? It may sound a little strange, right? The words that the Lord says should be on your forehead and on your hand, right? That can't be literal. You cannot fit very much of the Bible in, in this spot on your forehead and on your hand. And in fact, Israel didn't try to do that. They didn't try to tattoo themselves with the words of the Lord. They were even forbidden from tattooing themselves in that day. Uh, what it does mean instead is just a symbol that not only is your heart full of God's word, but, but your thinking, right, your, your brain, your head is like branded with God's word. And the things you do with the power of your hands, whether it be the position of authority that you hold or just things you can do with your hands, crafts you can make, all the things you do are just branded with the Lord's words. You have immersed yourself so deeply in this word that your heart just beats the Lord's words and your thinking is like the Lord's words and your actions are like the Lord's words. You've totally immersed yourself in God's word. And so the second picture we get then is just loving and immersing yourself in his commands. It's part of a healthy relationship with God. I might compare this to just being in a room full of money. Let's say somebody puts you in a 10 by 10 room that's full of money. Just $100 bills everywhere. And they say, okay, you can't use a wheelbarrow, you can't use any tools, but as much of this as you can grab, you can have. Now, some of us, in the desire of our hearts, are just going to be, right? you stuff it in your pockets and stuff it up your pant legs and stuff it in the other pockets and hold as much of this as you can. And when you get to the point where you have grabbed as many hundred dollar bills as you can possibly grab, you look at it all and on one hand are so glad, wow, look at what the Lord just gave me. And on the other hand, they're like a little bit sad because it's like, I don't think I can fit one more, right? Like I've hit my limit and I I just wish that I'm leaving some of this behind because I can't grab all of it. Well, the the scripture says that the words of the Lord are are like refined gold, like gold refined seven times, like silver that's been refined, like they are more valuable, the words in that book, more valuable than those hundred dollar bills you'd want to be stuffing all over the place and holding. And so when we go to this just feast of God's words, there's more here than you can retain, isn't there? None of us have the whole book memorized, and, and we never could. Right. And, and so you will, you will look at this and it's just like being in a room full of money. It's just a room full of treasure, reading all that you can, taking in all that you can because I have gold in front of me. And if I've got one more cranny where I can fit another thing, I'm going to fit it in there. But you're going to get to the point where you've read enough for the day and you think, okay, I've worn my brain out. If I read more, I won't retain it, right? I've hit my limit. My pockets are full, so to speak. Or you will have memorized as much as your brain can currently memorize. Cool thing though, next time you come back, you better memorize more because it works that way. But for now, this is as much as you can hold in. And so on one hand, so glad, look what the Lord gave me. And on the other hand, man, I wish I could just fit like one more verse in here because I have to leave so much on the table. There's a heart that loves the words of God. And the way you do this practically is just... Every day, morning or evening or both, reading that word like it's the word of God. Uh, Committing whatever time you can to, to memorizing it. Some of you memorize the Bible as children. Keep doing it as adults. Hide that word on your heart. Hearing the preached word of God, finding a church where the Bible is preached, and listening as attentively as you can to it. In these ways, we put the words of the Lord on our heart. And when we immerse ourselves in them, they start to govern our thinking, our actions. And next thing you know, it's like you got the words of the Lord tattooed on your forehead and on your hands because your heart is, it's immersed in it. This means also, if he says, these words I command you today shall be on your heart, uh, this means not only keeping the words of God, but, but loving all of the words of God. And that's important because, you know, we're a people who love the Word of God. When I preach the Bible with conviction, much of this church says amen, all right? But sometimes we will get to parts that make us a little uncomfortable, right? It starts talking about the differences between men and women, and we get a little uncomfortable. It brings up predestination, and we're like, oh, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. It brings up the call to bring the gospel to all nations. I don't know if I can do that, right? Many aspects of this word that we would say, okay, I love this Lord, but if I'm honest, I don't like that he says that. And if we're going to hear his words today, these words I command you shall be on your heart. That means loving everything that he has to say, even the parts of the scripture that I don't like very much. That means that when I preach to you, I have to tell you things that I don't like very much. And that when I do, I'm still out of step with the Lord. Because what he wants me to do is love everything he has to say. And he wants you to love everything he has to say. I didn't realize when I was young, but, but cultivating these habits, uh, these habits of reading your Bible, memorizing your Bible, hearing preaching, uh, when you have kids, it will, it will cultivate your, your children. Uh, the way this played out in our house, we didn't do this intentionally, but our kids took really well to schedules when they were young. And so for their whole lives, uh, they've gotten up at seven o'clock in the morning. That's been wake up time, seven o'clock. And Emily and I have always really cherished that time in the morning when nothing has happened yet and you're reading your Bible and you just have your coffee. And so we guard that because we love it. And so because that time means so much to us, it's long been the way in our house that we get up at six and we read our Bibles and we pray separately. And then at seven, the kids get up and they come down. Now we did that because we wanted to. We weren't saying what's going to form our kids the best. Uh, But now that I look back on 13 years of a house like that, I realize how much that has formed them. Uh, They wake up every morning and they know where Dad is and they know where Mom is. Dad's downstairs on the brown couch reading his Bible. Mom's on the light-colored couch reading her Bible. And then when they get up and they come down the stairs, if they want to snuggle, they know just where to find us and they know what they're doing. What's it going to do for a child's life to know that every day... That's what mom and dad spent their boardings doing. Parents, you can be that for your children. And what they need is for you to love the Lord earnestly yourself and love his words. If they see that, it will form them more than you know. Kids, I got the same message for you about this as I did to the first point. Some of you have parents who love God's word. And if you do, thank God for those parents. Now, if they don't, Honor them and love them anyway. The Lord gave them to you as mother and father. Honor them. And those of you that are back having Sunday school and children's church back there, uh, you've got teachers who love God's word themselves. And so go home and thank God for teachers who love you and love his word. Let's look at the last two verses this morning. If he's supreme, Lord, he wants us to love him with all that we are. He wants us to immerse ourselves in his commands. What else does he want? Verse 7 and verse 9. Those same words, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And then we already did verse 8. We'll skip to verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the same pattern before. He says it really plainly, and then in the later verse, symbolically. Right? So plainly, what does he want us to do? Repeat his words to our kids all the time. So if before it was immerse yourself in the Lord's words and love them, now he's saying, I want you to immerse your kids in my words. And I want you to do that as a community. Not just parents to kids, but the whole community, to all the kids in the community. He says in the beginning, hear, O Israel, the Lord, not hear, O parents, the Lord your God is one. This is all of Israel. Teach and train your kids. And he says this then symbolically. I want my word written on the doorposts of your house. So even to the edge of your house where you would leave it, the word of God just immerses the whole thing. And then their cities, they were the community of God. And so even on the gates of your city, like as a community, as a people, I want my word written all the way to the edge, all the way to the gates. So he wants us then to immerse this community in God's word, parents to immerse your kids in God's word, and all of us to gather to immerse these children and these teenagers in God's word. And so kids, teenagers, you want to know what to expect from us and whether we're doing a good job raising you guys here in church. That's what you need to expect. Expect us to feed you the Word of God and the scriptures all the time. There's all kinds of other school stuff too, right? You might leave church and your mom might ask, how was Sunday school today? And maybe it wasn't very fun and you're going to say, well, it wasn't that fun that day. But what's the most important question? Did they feed you the Word of God? That's what you need to expect from us. And if they fed you God's word and showed you how wonderful it is, they did a good job. If we didn't teach you the Bible, and didn't show you how wonderful God's word is, then you've got license to say, well, mom, honestly, it wasn't that great, right? It kind of felt like a waste of time. I didn't learn anything about God's word. I didn't learn anything about God. And that's the point of it. Parents, this means that the kind of home your children need, what God wants for your kids in your home, is a home where his word is repeated over and over and over again. Uh, Our translation has uh, teach these words diligently to your kids. Uh, And that's a tough Hebrew word to translate. It essentially means repeat. Repeat my words to your kids is the idea. And that means like whatever he says, repeat it. Right? You're just a parrot for what God has said. And it also means that you can say it over and over and over again. Like, right, repeat my words over and over. That's why it said diligently. Teach them diligently over and over. Repeating those words to your children. Now, some of the best ways you can do this are through that devotional habit yourself, reading the Bible yourself, and then just gathering the whole family for a short time in the Word of God and in prayer and maybe even in song together. Uh, If you can do that, You just get them together, read the word, talk a little bit about what it means, let them pray for something, and then sing a song together. You may not feel like you've done the most special thing in the world. You may not feel very equipped to do that. But what you have done is you have made the statement to your home that Jesus is Lord of this home. You do that day in and day out, week in and week out for kids, and that forms and that shows them, Dad has a Lord. Yeah, dad's in charge of this house, but Jesus is in charge of dad. And they leave that house as adults knowing who they must worship. Uh, I heard recently from a man who uh, his parents' 50th anniversary came and he had uh, four brothers and sisters, so five total, and they all went and visited their parents on their 50th anniversary. And they agreed that they would each individually tell each mother and father just something really meaningful that they did in their childhood that's impacted them today. And that they wouldn't consult each other first, so that they wouldn't like all say the same thing or anything. So they get together, they're, they're spending time with their parents on their 50th anniversary, and they go around the table. And all five of them look at the mom and say, Mom, it was, it was watching you pray day in and day out. You have no idea how much that formed me. And then they all looked at the dad, and they all said the same thing to the dad without consulting each other. Dad, it was the way that you gathered us around the table and read the Word of God for us every day. Uh, One of them said, Dad, I can remember, it's one of my earliest memories, uh, when, when you read about the Spirit of God changing hearts, and then you tried to explain to us what that meant. Um, but, but you started crying, and you couldn't finish uh, because you were remembering what God had done in your heart. He said, that's one of my earliest memories. And later on, when I grew up and, and I rebelled, I had to carry with me the knowledge that this Jesus my dad worships is real, and he changes hearts, and he affects people. So even when I was far and astray and I hated God myself, I knew he was real because I saw how much he changed your life. So these simple habits then, right? Daily prayer, daily Bible reading, daily gathering the kids and mom and worshiping together over years and over months make such a difference. This means also for parents, you got to choose the media your kids watch carefully, Right? They're going to be immersed in something. There is so much media out there today. Immersion is the only word I could think of to describe the way we watch TV and watch stuff on our phones. You can use your TV and your iPad to parent, or you can use it to not parent. Right? like You can choose what they're watching carefully and make it part of their discipleship, or you can say, I need a break. Here's an iPad, right? I'm going to use it to not parent. Someone will parent your child. They will be immersed in something. But as parent, you get to choose, and you get to be careful about that and say, okay, this would be good for you. This would not be good for you. There's plenty of stuff out there that's good. There's plenty of stuff out there that's not good. But don't forfeit your authority in your home to choose media for your children. Raise them up and choose the good stuff for them. And then the last thing that means for us is as a church, right? We, uh, we all have a role in kids ministry. Right? Part of what we do is repeat the words of God to these kids. Uh, that's indeed what a healthy church community looks like, right? Loving Jesus Loving his word in our heart and repeating it down to the kids. And that means that as time comes and goes, your role in that may shift and change. But no matter where you are in the church and no matter what your age is, you have a role in raising these kids with us. There will be seasons when you're in your 20s and you got plenty of energy and you're back there holding kids in the nursery and then you're teaching and you're doing all kinds of stuff and then the Lord may give you children yourself and then you may be focused on those children and raising them and then they will grow up and they will move away and you're like, man, I, I just want to hold babies in my arms again. They are back in the nursery again holding some babies in your arms and then, then you'll keep doing that and you might keep teaching and then you might get to the point where you can't get down on the floor anymore and you can't do as much with them but you never really get to retire from training them in the ways of God. And that happens in two ways. For one, all of us must worship Jesus with all we have. If you're here and you're an adult, you need to worship Jesus in a way that shows these kids are real, and you'll always have that role. And if you're able, many of you are able we consider here our kids ministry, raising our kids, raising our youth, we consider that an all hands on deck ministry. We keep serving in those areas until we can't do it anymore because we're too weak to do it. So if you're able physically, get in on this mission the Lord has given us to repeat these words and these commands down to our children. So there's a little picture of what a healthy relationship with God looks like. Healthy home, Healthy community, kind of home our kids need, kind of home, kind of church our kids need. Church, love Jesus as Lord with all you have. Love his words, take them in, drink them, and cherish them, and repeat those words down to the next generation. We're going to spend some time in prayer now, maybe a little more than normal. As you plead, God, please give us this as a church. Let's pray together.